Hello everyone and welcome to AI Literacy, your podcast about artificial intelligence. We're your hosts. I'm Anna Regina Entis and I'm Victoria Ruby. Thank you for tuning in to a new episode of AI Literacy. Hello everyone, we are here today with François Höhlinger, who is the Vice President of Parkling at ParkNow Group which was part of BMW Group and Daimler Mobility before it was acquired just this month by the parking tech company EasyPark. So for the people who maybe don't know ParkNow, it's an app which helps drivers find the nearest parking spot by making AI-driven predictions. And by using it, drivers can pay for their parking spot per minute and right in their app. Thank you very much, Francois, for joining us today. Well, I'm really happy to join this uh, podcast and also happy to exchange about uh, what's one of my biggest passions, uh, mobility and, of course, smart cities. So you have a very interesting um, path. Like, How did you become an expert in mobility and tech? Before joining ParkNow, you were the head of France, Belgium and Luxembourg of the Flixbus Charter Group. Um, how did you choose this this very specific topic and how did you become an expert in mobility? So, so I think at some point in your career, when you start, you basically don't really know what you want to do or the, the path you will be guided through. And I think the, the best option was to go in strategic consulting because that helps you also to get a wider uh, idea of what's on the market. And then sometimes you just end up having a good choice by going to mobility and Flixbus was a tremendous and exciting adventure. And the, the advantage I had with this charter business was that I was basically managing the whole branch. And when you do that, then you have the opportunity to meet all the, the key stakeholders. And that really gives you the, I would say the, the ability to discuss with really important people, but also the people who basically decide. And starting with that, you need to be at the level of knowledge they expect you to be. So that's also where you get this understanding of how mobility works, what are the key stakes, what are the major issues you are facing. And then, of course, you start to speak the same language as, as they do. You know. So were there some projects in, uh, in the time maybe at Flixbus or uh, now at ParkNow, although you also just recently joined, um, were, were there projects where you have used artificial intelligence in mobility? So I think the best example is probably to describe first what we were doing at Charter Business because it's a bit different from uh, the Flixbus, you know, let's call it this way, because Flixbus, it's, it's, it's known for the B2C. Basically, it means you and I would just take a random ticket from Paris to Berlin, drive with the bus on a normal line. That's basically the line business. But Charter, where it's a bit more complex, is we travel with groups, schools, association, sport club, and they want to go from A to B, but you basically never know those A to B. And if you want to make this profitable, one of the key of the success of the charter business is to connect all the points to make this A to B route and what's in between the shortest possible. Okay, And that's where we created optimization. Basically, it's uh, people, mathematicians uh, that basically develop algorithm and AI to basically un anticipate what we call empty kilometers. Because part of the business model of buses, what costs the most is empty kilometers. It means if your bus driver lives in Paris and needs to drive to 30 kilometers away from Paris, that costs a lot, actually. Because if you pile that every day until the end of the year, then you probably lose 50K, let's call it this way. And optimization and so AI 
first it helps you to connect so routing but also on top of that it analyzes the patterns behind it you know and that's where ai is super useful because then you can anticipate also where to put the next depot and that's also how we work with partners because if i explain quite simply people that do buses today uh, except flixbus who is an operator and not a, a bus owner they are living in the 70s basically you know before flixbus they were taking the routing system on an agenda paper wise you know so like uh, they just write the yeah, paris to berlin on the agenda what we bring to them on top of that is the anticipation of the flow so it means they have one depot where they, they store the bus in paris but maybe tomorrow we push them to open another depot in between because we know that half of the road will be done by all their buses and that's basically how you use ai which is a software or at least which is something that's not visible not tangible for them to make it really tangible incredible i i can i didn't think about like the the backstory of charter what i saw was that people rented even for weddings and it's you're totally right it's totally random they go from a to b and you never know where this a to b is because it's always individual so it's a completely different approach compared to the planning and predicting the demand of normal b2c bus rides so what about park now like what is the project you are working on right now if you uh, have already gotten into a big project based on ai of course so the the story here is a bit different but Ultimately, you always solve an uh, issue for the end user. Flixbus Charter was navigating through uh, A to B system. For PacNow, they, they, they develop what they call uh, off-street payment. So it means you are in your car and you can pay your parking in your car, basically, which was already quite, let's call it convenient, because uh, beforehand you had to you know, you bring your coins and put it in the cash machine and get a ticket. So, But thanks to that, we develop at uh, Parkling, which is a solution. It's a startup inside inside Parknow. We develop prediction. And what does it mean? It means when you uh, have your Parknow app, you can pay, but you can also be routed from A to B again, but with the find and park solution. And the find and park solution, it's actually quite uh, innovative because it means I drive you, uh, Anna, to uh, the center of Paris, but uh, the finding park shows me where it's highly likely that we don't find a parking spot. So we don't waste half an hour in Parisian traffic jam being yelled at by taxi drivers, but we go on a green streets because it shows you a color coding and say, okay, in the green street, there is 90% of chance that you get a parking spot. So what you're talking to us about, the service is basically helping us make um, urban infrastructure smarter, right? So before we go more into detail about parking, we would um, like to touch a little bit about the subject of smart cities, where everything is connected and about the infrastructure being AI driven and what it means to have a smart city. Smart city is quite a trendy word those days, but smart city is a lot of hardware and a bit of software and flows. Basically, it means you have buildings, you have roads, you have rails, you have people driving the city. And you have people walking in there uh, with the need of transportation, parking, whatsoever. Calling smart cities, it's, it can be a new electric grid, but it can also be a parking solution, you know. And that's everything is made to uh, spare energy, spare time, alleviate traffic jam, alleviate noise, alleviate pollution. Basically, everything that is uh, 
let's let's call it the, the sense of what is city. Calling it smart just means uh, you take your uh, 100% and you reduce, you reduce it to 50. The good example is smart grid or how to, uh, let's say, save energy with the smart grid, with uh, less pollution, with um, using smaller data servers to convey, uh, I don't know, data inside the city. Everything that's about smart city, that's smart city, you know. And inside that, one of the big pillars is, of course, mobility and transportation, which are two topics with a bit different. Transportation, it means smarter railways, smarter roads, uh, smarter parking spots. And mobility is about how do I change from one type of transportation to another. It means I arrive in the city center of Paris with a train, then I go to, with a metro with, or I take a line to park somewhere. And that's uh, facilitating intermodality. And that's just about the key principle, because I know you want to discuss about AI, you want to discuss about hardware. How do we integrate that? Because AI is a part of something that brings a solution, right? It's not the solution. Let's take buses, for instance. Basically, beforehand, you would take a map, square map, and design roads. And that's how you create a grid. And tomorrow, first of all, you have to alleviate this map. It means um, push the occupancy of the buses, for instance. Because if you have 100 buses navigating in Paris, you're never sure that all those buses are full. And that's a first issue. That's the first issue. And the second issue, facilitating intermodality. That's also how AI can help you, basically. So how do we combine the smart technology of um, optimizing buses to optimizing parking space? So how does um, parking play a role in a smart city? Of course, I think you have to, to see it again as a map. Bus is a start, point A, and probably parking is the end of the road. It means that when you fill a bus, you are bringing people to the city center and optimizing a bus is basically your duty. And that's how you do it through AI. But on the other hand, parking spots, that's the same issue because usually in city centers, you have a few number of parking spots and you have a lot of cars that exactly want to do at the same exact spot. That's where AI is super important, you know. And if I give you an example, it's like Berlin is 23,000 parking spots, but for almost three times the demand. So how do we do that? It means that we, through the prediction, tell the people with the color coding where they can or cannot park. And those 22,000 parking spots, it doesn't mean that you have to fit the 60,000 people that want to park. It just means those 60,000 people, they want to do it, but all along the day. And ultimately with the, with the occupancy rates, it's, it can be possible, you know. So that's, that's what we do with AI. We also fill the blanks. Of course, this solves a major problem we have. I would say if we are looking for a parking spot for ourselves and it takes ages every time we take a car, uh, we don't, or I think people often don't think about there are millions of people every day who are facing the same issue, wasting a few minutes before arriving at the spot. And for example, in, in pre-COVID times in New York City, of course, it's an extreme example because it's the the city in the U.S. with the highest time spent on looking for a parking spot. But there are like people on average looking for a parking spot for 107 hours per year. That's that's over four days. And they spend each person spends over two thousand dollars 
on this search of, for a parking slot. It is kind of insane that we are in 2021 and we still don't have a full solution for solving this issue. And this is where Park Now comes into play using AI to predict the occupancy, right? But how how does it work? How are you collecting this data? Do you have sensors or how are you um, predicting the, the demand and the occupancy of all those parking lots in huge cities? So back to what you said first, I think it's really important and really interesting because the first thing is you have to understand that the parking issue 30% of the pollution in a city comes to looking for a parking spot. First topic. In Germany, we made a, we made a study. It costs around 40 billion euro per year. It just means if you lose time in your car, you lose money and you consume energy. That's just to, to set the picture first. Then the second problem you, you show, and that's the same issue with the buses, is that we are in 2021, we develop crazy AI, we can land to Mars. And on the other hand, we have bus drivers that are from the 80s, you know, in the way they do. And why is it so? Because technology, it's like a wave, but it doesn't touch everyone the same way, you know. Of course, it touch Amazon delivery, everything. But when it comes to B2B or when it comes to something really niche like parking, it takes time, you know. And... Yes, of course, we do AI, and I will explain uh, in further detail how we find those data and how we do uh, predict them. But the major issue is, yes, we are all looking for parking spots, but we also have to be all aware that finding park exists. And that's where the, the cornerstone now, 2021-2022, is. So back to your question, Anna, about how do we collect those data, it's actually quite simple. And I will make the parallel between also the other parking solutions so that you understand. We put uh, sensors and camera on the car and we go through the whole city. We design a round of a city, around 130 kilometers. And the first step is to map the city. So it basically you have a perfect photograph at one specific moment. That's how we do it with a car. And then we annotate. It means we review the video and we put all the signs why? Because that's the first variable you will put to your prediction. Because if you just know how many streets and how many parking spots, that's cool. But if you don't have the rules that go with it, then your prediction model will be, will be wrong. And then what we do is we put two or three cars, depending on the size, and they go and we decide which time of the day and which time of the year they just do the same street again and again. And at some point, that's iteration, you know, after iteration for three or four times, then your prediction model starts to be more than 90% correct. So that's basically how it works. And why is it important to explain you that? Because some people would just say, yeah, okay, then uh, another solution would be to put sensors everywhere on the parking spots, which could work if you have 50 parking spots, because it's a bit, it's a way much more expensive. But at least you would know each time a car is in and each time a car is out. Yes, that worked for 50. If you are Berlin with 23,000 parking spots, that's impossible. That's too expensive to build in and also to take care of. So that's, that's the major difference. 
But wouldn't governments be extremely supportive because it solves so many issues if not only 30% of the pollution that the surge of parking causes, also 30% of the con congestion are caused by people looking for parking slots. So it should be in the interest of the government to be very supportive in terms of monetization uh, to make it happen and put sensors everywhere. The, the, the issue here is like, it's not the government, but it's really the cities. And the, diff the difficulty we have, and if I take France, because I know it a bit better um, as an example, is that some cities, they have different stakes and different goals in life. And uh, you have cities that want to close the city center and they don't want to propose any solution. So that's, that can be one thing, but there are also some other cities that want to make it super expensive. And for them, it's just like, yeah, okay, it's five euro. Now we put it to 10 euro and that's it. So it's also about politics because some want to really shelter the environment and that's fine because what we do propose helps, of course, sheltering environment and reduce pollution. But on the other hand, it also depends. So that's where the scalability stops a bit because you have to adapt your product city by city. If I take example, we have Stockholm is a really... Uh, convinced city about the necessity to put a parking prediction uh, that's cool but on the other hand if you take Paris as a city Paris has a lot of plans for a lot of mobility topics but parking is a niche topic compared to um, creating all those new metro lines for instance so so that's where also the the issue is is like parking so far it's a really really smaller topic compared to uh, creating metro creating a new airport for instance so, very bizarre if we think about the numbers and the issues it causes. Yeah, it's actually a huge issue. It's such a big problem that we don't we don't have a solution for yet. But if we go back to the data part of it, um, of the predictions, um, how do you take the many variables into account? For example, if we think about now that the European Cup is 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 going on, how do you take into uh, consideration that maybe now? In the evenings, there's so much more traffic right before the matches. Do you find like satellite data or do you have Google Maps traffic data or does it just work with the iterations you told us about? So so for you to, to understand, so what you are uh, talking about, uh, EM and World Cup and all those big events, it's quite particular, but we can also predict quite easily, especially since stadiums are usually not in the city center. So we are well aware of that. If I take an example, which is uh, way much more understandable, is seasonality. If you go to a city like Bordeaux, uh, you have 30% more traffic in summer because people, they want to go, you know, to the city center or to close beaches, whatever. And that's something we also include in our iteration because uh, we can do that uh, on a really easy level um, by just putting more cars, you know, to, to iterate even better. It just means at some point you can iterate 100 times, the data won't change anymore. So that's how close to perfect our data is. And for specifics, we also work with some cities. For instance, uh, there are cities in Austria, they have handball game on the Thursday evening and they want to, to understand how it works. And we can do that actually. We can just give them the difference. And the next step is to help them, to help them organize those uh, flow of people. Because they say, okay, the city center is totally full. Yes, but then we help you to create parkings or to just tell them that's where you should put your parking, you know, an extra parking just for the Thursday evening games. So that's that's how um, good our model is. 
and also to 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 compare to Google Maps or to uh, satellite data. So the issue is like it's really rare to have live satellite data that are as good as on on the ground uh, data. Yes, of course you have satellite data, but it's not precise enough to calculate uh, 50 centimeter close a car from another. That's how good our, our data is. And that's also how we can differentiate a scooter spot from an EV charging spot from a normal car spot. That's how good the data is on the ground. But still, even in the cities, I mean, how often are you sending your car around, scanning the whole city and recording everything? Um, how do, often does that happen? Because even the weather is such a game changer. I mean, two weeks ago here in Paris, we had sun and people were out and now we have like a week of rain and only this will change the traffic or the parking occupancy on a Monday morning or on a Tuesday morning or on a Friday night, complete game changer. So that means you would need to train the model on all those um, with all those factors. And this can also manipulate the outcome in the end because this is another factor that's been taken into consideration. So, so there are there are two points in your question. The first one is the the variable um, the variable we need to take into account to make our prediction model perfect. Yes. So of course we take all of those considerations, but from weather to a specific change to the likelihood that there is a construction, uh, everything you know, uh, or even a, a street sign change. Now it's only a one-way street. That that we can take easily into account. The second point is how fresh needs to be the data and how do we spread it through the year? So usually for the prediction model, we take three months of uh, data testing while the, the mapping is 15 days. So 15 days we go through the city, which is usually enough to map, map it really correctly. But for the prediction model, we need three months. Why three months? Because usually three months is a really good uh, way to alleviate all the risk. But it's really rare in Paris, as you know, that you have three months of full sun, three months of uh, no traffic jam. So we decided that around 90 days is enough to encounter all the peaks and all the variables. So you said um, that the data needs to be fresh, right? And yeah. that you're uh, basically taking three months to map out the whole city. Is that how long you uh, take to enter like a new city and like a new market? So the, I think the best way to, for us to do it is um, we map the city in 15 days and we first go and show them what we have because that's super important for them to understand that we have a mapping at time one of your city because then we can already flag the issues, you know, because they, they might see if we take Paris again as an example. Yeah, okay, we have all the, all the signs, all the parking spots. And then they just say, okay, around Notre Dame, we are doing some construction, so we will close all those streets. Um, can you do the prediction and including those construction sites so that we can understand? So the first step is 15 days, we do the mapping, and then we have three more months to create the whole prediction model, including all the variables. Okay, so you do this. I mean, this will also vary again from, from season to season. So like the three months, basically, you need to do it uh, technically, you need to do it all the time because three months in spring are not representative for three months in summer. So. No, no, we actually do three months, but usually for specific cities, we spread, we can spread those three months actually. Okay. Which means it doesn't make sense exactly to, to do it from February to May because it's basically the same. You just have some holidays in April, but it's way much more interesting to do it in, let's say, February in August when it's empty and also super interesting in September when it, everybody's back 
from the holidays and the city is super crowded and then you have still heat and whatever. So that's also how we uh, enter all the variables because uh, your warm can become a 1.5 pressure on a Sunday uh, evening when everybody's back from the weekend, but it can also be a 0.7 on a Thursday morning when everybody's at work. You know, So that's also for re residential area. That's also how we do it. There's also such a huge potential if we look at the ecological benefits of um, like reducing the CO2 emissions substantially or improving the experience of tourists who just don't know the area so they will never find a parking spot. Um, how is, what is the biggest effect that you see of this um, technology and this AI and the change in the mobility that it has for the smart cities? So I think before even answering that, there is something we need to, to acknowledge. It means people, they will continue to drive a car on their own. You know, approach of some cities is just say, yeah, we ban the car. So people, they will use metro, trains, whatever. But at some point, people, they will continue to drive cars because driving is also a leisure and or driving is sometimes just quite convenient. So that's the first thing we need to have in head. And the role of those finding park app It's just to alleviate any risk or any stress because uh, if I remember correctly from the, the study, it was 87% of the people that were asked had issues and stress because of the parking, uh, the, the fact that they need to find a parking, especially somewhere you don't know or in Paris in general. So that's also why uh, those finance parks um, are really a good feature because it definitely alleviates a risk on top of of course, uh, reducing pollution. So that's something quite premium we are selling to or we are selling to the end users. So. Right now you can you can predict that there is a free sparking parking spot in the street, right? So do you see that in the future you will have like sensors that will predict the exact location also on the parking spot? Because I know like my street is very long if I have to go and look for that parking spot and I'm like at number one and the parking spot is at number 137, it will take me a long time. Maybe it will get more like cheaper and then you will implement that the sensors the issue is always the same you know because yes what we do is parking prediction at the street level so we just say yeah of course if you are in the longest street of paris or berlin or munich yeah of course it's it's an issue um on the other end the sensors it's a super nice technology for uh, close parking for off street parking because uh, you have the light you, it's quite clear the issue is like you have to find sensors and i know bosch is developing a lot of those sensors but it costs a lot for a city. And on top of that, city, they also have this way of approaching an issue is like, if it costs too much, it doesn't worth it, you know, because ultimately we are paying for it. So that's, all, that's also something. So uh, the approach is a bit different because yes, you have really rich city, probably in the, the, the Middle East, for instance, they could put sensors everywhere, really uh, high-end expensive sensors, and that would work perfectly, of course. And then you would have a light say, okay, here in 50 meters, you have a green light, you know. Uh, but is it realistic on all tradition, uh, traditional cities? So far, I think it's uh, a bit too preposterous. The access to those sensors will in five years be easier and cheaper than now. So this could be something that can be integrated. Or would you see it's a different, would you say it's a different approach? So um, the AI and prediction-based approach is just... Is differently so it's rather not something 
that would be implemented at Park now in the future? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's two two way two ways of seeing the world. The the first one, ours, like we can use it now for for cheap and efficient. Of course, you, if you want to put sensors everywhere in Berlin, yeah, but that costs ten million euros. So that's that's just a reality. Um, of course, and even if tomorrow it's only five million, does it worth it? Does the business case stand? I'm not sure. But on the other hand, if that really becomes a problem, then at least put some sensors in the major streets, you know. Uh, but that also breaks because you have 100 cars that park on the sensor every day and, and so on. You know, you have weather, snow, hail. It also depends on how, how closely the government works with you. If everything, if they really sponsor it because they really see the need for it to reduce emissions, then it will probably be easier to implement, right? Yeah, yeah. but again, the, the, the governments, they are supportive of any good idea that can alleviate some kind of pressure, reduce some pollution, but they are not the one who's going to pay the bill. That's not their role. The role, <laughs> the role is the city. And the city, they prefer to build a cycling path, which is much, much more useful for them in terms of uh, transition to equal mobility, of course. While for them, yeah, okay, we have parking spots, that's enough, you know. And just prediction model is the in-between solution. And probably if you have to invest, if you are mayor of Paris and you have to invest 10 million euro somewhere in mobility, probably you don't start by sensors. Uh... I think it's, uh, it's still, still revolutionary and I'm going to try to make my parents change their, uh, taking out their coins every single time and overpaying every single time they pay a, a parking ticket. So I'm going to make them download it, I think. Oh, that's that, that's such a revolution and when you think about it it's it's so obvious and at the time when uh, technology is so obvious then you reach the maturity then i hope that people now are getting a little bit more aware of it hopefully yeah thank you very much francois it was really cool and interesting to dig into the uh, smart cities and smart parking and uh, how we can imagine park now changing the future of parking It was a pleasure for me to share some, some of those insights and let's see in 10 years, see if the car already self-driving. So. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode and want to learn more about AI, make sure to subscribe to AI Literacy on Spotify, SoundCloud or your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for being with us today. We can't wait to share other insights on AI with you and help you become an AI literate.